Hello, welcome to those vicar blokes. I'm Dave Coaches. This week we don't have Howell the Nerdy Vicar because uh, he's off on his holidays. But it strikes me that I didn't ask him where he was going, so that's interesting. Um, but we promised you a special guest. Special guest, introduce yourself. Special? That's unusual. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, esteemed <laughs> gets even worse yeah <laughs> distinguished i can try yeah <laughs> how are you doing dave my uh yeah i'm lee i am uh, the methodist minister at yate and uh Watley's end in winterbourne and uh, a little tiny place called shortwood which is kind of like puckle church because most people have never heard of it and uh yeah so i kind of there's a, a recycling center that's technically shortwood isn't it opposite uh, shortwood golf course it's that's that's gone, isn't it? The golf course is gone. I don't think I've seen a golf course. So it I, must think have gone. Gone. I think it's gone. I think it's gone. How far back are you going? It's probably houses. About five years. <laughs> I wasn't here then. No, <laughs> that was before me. Um, yeah, so I kind of work across the patch, uh, across kind of Froomside and Yate. Um, so get to work with you in lots of places. Yeah, lots of places. Today we are going to talk about um, the Archbishop of Canterbury and his comments, because they've hit the news quite heavily. Uh, then we're going to talk about um, ecumenical relationships, um, and we're going to talk about how we can still get on, even though you're the competition, because you're the Methodists. Um, and then we shall talk about Eurovision, uh, because we've not jointly watched anything, but I'm sure at some point in our lives uh, we've suffered Eurovision. Um, so we're going to talk about how that fits in. So brace yourselves for the music. So you're listening to those vicar blokes. I'm Dave Coaches, and I'm Lee. Without How, a nickname, without a nickname, <laughs> yeah. Lee, the special guest for this week, um, due to Howell's holidays, um, and we're going to start by talking about the news. And uh, what's caught my eye this week is the news that the Archbishop of Canterbury um, is not a big fan of the Rwanda policy, or the, um, as it's termed. Immigration bill or illegal immigration bill, and I'm not sure which part of it's illegal, but um, I'm sure that's what it means. The bill or the people it's trying to affect? Oh, well, absolutely. <laughs> I I view it as the bill, but l lots of people refer to it as the people. Um, and it's had various news. You've seen that news? Yeah, yeah. It's um, the bill's made its way to the House of Lords, hasn't it? And uh, good old Justin's had his voice in. Into the yeah the conversation yeah well of course Justin forms part of my hierarchical structure <laughs> but he doesn't form part of yours so it'd be good to have a, a an ecumenical take on on uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury and his role. I think it's worth mentioning though that some of the the newspapers um, have failed to mention the fact he made the comments in the House of Lords and have just put it that he's He's made comments to say that um, he thinks that the immigration bill, as as it stands at the moment, is unethical, um, is immoral, is not in accordance with the Gospels, and um, he considers it to be bad. 
Yeah. He did make some um, reports to one of the newspapers didn't he, after the, the comments in the House of Lords. So they might be just getting a little bit confused. It doesn't take well, much. No. No, perhaps not. Perhaps not. And it does, of course, open up the wider issue because the main criticism is that the Archbishop of Canterbury should stick to religion and not interfere in politics. But you've got that question about, is he deviating from religion with his comments in the House of Lords? He did quote some Gospels. He did quote some Gospels. Um, and there is the fact that um, Christians, for, for good or ill, um, and, and we're, all, we're all guilty of it, uh, I suppose, um, make ethical judgments um, that we try to base on Scripture to the best of our ability and to the to the way that we're prompted by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you've got that verse from from Micah, haven't you, about doing justice and walking humbly with God. Mm. And I think that's what um, the Archbishop's trying to be trying to get across um, with his comments on on the immigration bill, because we're not walking humbly and doing justice with the, the suggestions that are in the immigration bill. Um, we're forcing people into being second, third, fourth, fifth class citizens. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we're all equal in the eyes of God. Um, and and God doesn't say except some people are more equal than others. Um, it's not George Orwell. No, no, absolutely. And of course it opens up the wider issue of, of the fact that he is in the House of Lords. There are bishops, the Archbishop is there. Um, there are other faith representatives, but probably not as many as I would like, to be fair. Um, and it is the second chamber um, of of, uh, of our parliamentary system. So to me, it seems completely ridiculous that anybody should say that he should not comment on anything while he's in a political establishment. Yeah, I guess... It He's got a bit of a, a strange dual role, hasn't he, as the Right Reverend and Right Honourable? Yes. Um, uh, and ha- having to balance that um, that faith and spiritual element of, of his ministry with that political um, element of his ministry. And when you're in the House of Lords, I think you can't just uh, focus on, on the spiritual. You have to do what the House of Lords is there to do, and that's to to challenge policy and to review and to look at bills and to make sure they're the most effective and doing what is right in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of the nation. And I think part of that role is about questioning when something comes up like this. Yeah, I think so. And and he's looking at it with a particular lens and with a particular focus. And that is to say, is it just? Is it fair? Is it ethical? Not is it not anything to do with anything other than those issues, really, in, in most ways. And he was pretty clear, wasn't he, that he he thinks the whole um, situation around immigration and refugees needs reform. Yes. Um, but what's being suggested isn't the right reform. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Some of his comments um, have been taken completely out of context, of course, where he says, and we do need to stop the boats. Um, whereas lots of people then said, oh, he agrees that we shouldn't have any immigrants in our country. And that's not what he said at all. In the same way as a few years ago when he said we need to put Wonga out of business, it wasn't that he was anti-business, it was he was anti-exploitation. Um, and so there's a recognition that 
actually immigration via small boats across the channel is not a good thing. Mm. It's not a good thing because people are being exploited. People are dying in the process. Um, and there's uh, huge benefits to some people who are who are gaining money from uh, modern slavery, in effect. Yeah, the, the kind of key phrase, isn't it, is about safe and legal routes. Yeah. Uh, and they're just not there, particularly at the moment. Uh, and when you've got a bill that's going to make everyone an illegal immigrant and not allow um, the, the opportunity to seek refuge... Uh, into the into the UK, it's not a, a way forward. I think uh, I mean that's what the Archbishop was trying to get across. That we need to find other ways of uh, of enabling people to to find refuge, to seek safety, uh, and to to be welcomed into the country. Um, that doesn't include risking life and limb crossing the Channel on a dinghy, um, which isn't the way anybody should be treated. No. We would, of course, have people telling us at this point, screaming at our podcast, that um, that we're full as a country, um, that we've got no room left, um, and that there there's lots of people coming here for economic gain. Um, I don't happen to think that there's thousands of people coming here for economic gain, and if you were, I certainly don't think that you'd come on a small boat across the channel. Um bit of a risk i think yeah for for what is it, a minute um allowance to to help you to to live while your refugee process is being dealt with which takes like two years um there's no economic gain in that is a um it is a plea for safety and security yeah i think so i think so so generally we agree with the archbishop that boats crossing the channel has to come to an end it's not the it's not the safest way to to make your way into the country, is it? And we need to find alternative um, alternative options for people that are seeking refuge, um, because that's the call of uh, of being a Christian nation, which we experienced last weekend in the coronation. Is ultimately what we we are as as a whole, and uh, we need to find ways to to welcome people that is safe and secure uh, and gives people. Um, the respect and the honour that they deserve. Well, it, it makes me think of, you said there about being a Christian nation, and it makes me think of the um, census results um, from 2021, yeah. where less people clicked to the Christian box than than had done previously. Um, and there was panic and hysteria that we were no longer a Christian nation at that point. Yet we appoint to the House of Lords bishops and the Archbishop in order to maintain a Christian ethic in our lawmaking, um, and people still complain about it. Um, so do we want to be Christian or don't we want to be Christian? Um, and if we do want to be a Christian nation, then surely some of those principles are having the key Christian leaders in the places where they can actually influence things. Yeah, exactly, and I think um, I don't think that the Archbishop uh, and some of the comments from the other bishops in the House of Lords would have um, been disagreed by uh, from from faith leaders either, from other faiths, uh, and um, the, there's obviously uh, members of the House of Lords that have come from other faith backgrounds. Uh, we've even got a few Methodists in there, um, and I think they'd be certain to agree uh, with some of the comments from the Arch the Archbishop. 
um, about treating people well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I don't think that means that we would consider that the um, that the House of Lords, though, doesn't need some reform. It is a bit of an odd structure, isn't it? Uh, and I guess it kind of echoes some of that historic tradition that we tend to keep in in lawmaking and in yeah. policy and government. Um, I think there's certainly an argument around um, unelected uh, officials being um, involved in in decision making and and lawmaking. Um, but I think, the, the, I think in general, the House of Lords does a reasonable job of being relatively representative. Um, if you think of the cross-section um, of, of folk in there, there's people that have kind of inherited wealth, there's people that have um, gained uh, kind of positions of authority because of what they've done in the past, uh, people from faith backgrounds. Um, so I think there's there's a reasonable breadth of, um, breadth of experience in the chamber. Um, but yeah, I certainly think yeah, I don't think it's ideal. No, I, I think I think most people would say that it's not ideal, and I think that most people would agree it needs potentially some reform. I suppose we're at a golden time if it's going to be reformed, because that would probably fall under the remit of the new king. He'd certainly have to sign it off at some point. He would, wouldn't he? Yeah. So um, maybe maybe if you maybe you you. Be a bit wary of what what you wish for in this case, uh, but uh, let's hope that he would remember um, whose servant he is to reflect on last week's podcast. Yeah, um, he, uh, he certainly made that, that promise on Saturday. He did, yeah, he did. Did you watch? I did. Yes, we uh, we screened it at uh, the Methodist Church in Yate, so we invited the community to come and join oh, us. Oh, see, you're the competition because <laughs> we screened it at Saint Saviour's in Culpit Heath, um, but we only had a handful of people in for it. Um, we yeah, we had about twenty five come to watch. See the competition, and you uh, took fourteen of our <laughs> congregations to go and watch it at the Methodist Church. But no, yeah, it was. It, I think it was a it was a good morning and uh, quite an experience. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right, on to the next bit. Get ready for your ad break. You're listening to those Vicar Blokes. Don't forget to click subscribe or follow. We're available on all platforms. um, And you can ask your smart speaker. So please do give us a like, give us a follow. um, And give us a rating on Red Circle. So, as we mentioned, Lee, you are a Methodist minister, and I'm going to lay out to you where my upbringing lies. Um, I grew up as an Anglican, staunch Anglican, never went to a Methodist church or a Baptist church or any other sort of church, for that matter, other than the church that I went to all the way through my childhood. And we referred to the Methodist church just at the bottom of the lane there as the competition um, thoughts on that one? I'm sure as a Methodist, you have you been a lifelong Methodist or have you journeyed through different denominations? Um, well, I've not been a lifelong Christian. Um, so I kind of grew up in, in the Scouty movement and uh, rocked up to uh, parade services in the Anglican Church. 
got my head stuck in a pew at one point, as you do. So, sorry, you got your head stuck in a pew. I must have been bored, and you know what the cut out that things. happens in <laughs> it church. It does, it does yeah. quite often. Not just in Anglican churches. No. <laughs> so you got the, the, these fancy pews with the sort of cut out things yeah. on the front, and for some reason I put my head through it, and it got yeah. a bit stuck. Came out eventually. Yeah. Well, clearly but, you're not still there. It <laughs> explains a lot of things. As long as they didn't have to desecrate the pew to get you released. <laughs> no, it, it managed to free itself. So. so is that why you're a Methodist? Because you don't have so many pews in Methodist churches <laughs> as we do yeah. in the Anglican church. We don't have too many, but there's a few around. But uh, no, I kind of, yeah, so ended up in the Methodist church through Boys Brigade because I got Border Scouts, so I left there. Uh, and the um, the boys brigade company that I the boys brigade company that I joined was in a Methodist church, right? And um, yeah, kind of got more involved in the the life of the Methodist church, and went off to do some boys brigade training when I was eighteen, and decided that I should give this Christianity thing a go. Oh and, right, um, okay. So therefore, I was in the Methodist church already, so why not just kind of stay there for a little while? Okay. And that's yeah. That's where Methodism came from for me. So the the Boys Brigade link because they do their they they stem out of the Methodist no, church boys, movement. Boys Brigade or... ecumenical. Um, but the one the company I happened to be involved in was in a Methodist church. Oh right, all the ones I know of are in Methodist churches. It is it's um, kind of was you either have the Scouts or you have the Boys Brigade yeah, in those ways. It it was the biggest provider of youth work in the Methodist church. I'm not sure whether that's still the case, but um, yeah, a lot of Boys Brigade groups are in Methodist churches, but they are it is an ecumenical movement. Right, okay. Uh, and so you you were a, a convert into Christianity through a, a fringe group. So it does happen. Yeah. It does happen. It does. Okay. Um, yeah. Fringe fringing away, I guess. Um the Boys Brigade is a Christian organization, uh, and its object is about advancing Christ's kingdom. Um but yeah, it's it's not kind of the mainstream worship of no. of, the, of the church. Great stuff. So your view on on being the competition then? How, how does that label sit? I, I there's a bit of that, isn't there? We're all trying to kind of fill bums on seats on a Sunday morning. Well, yeah, I was talking to somebody just this week. Um, uh, completely not in a church context, but you know, knowing that I am. A, a vicar type in the church um and beth our youngest said that um she wanted to go to the youth thing that meets just up by zion and uh and this person said oh zion that's the competition right <laughs> and he, well there are you urc methodist partnership that um that is in in our vicinity um that you could arguably say takes the lion's share of the Christians in this area. Yeah, it's um, um, certainly a decent size. If they weren't going there, they might be coming here. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I said, oh, no, we don't view them as competition anymore. Um, at least I don't view no, them I think as competition anymore. I think a lot of, um, a lot of it is around um, kind of alternatives, isn't it? Uh, we all, um, we're all worshipping the, the same God. But we just do things in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um, and and some of us kind of do things a little bit more Anglican than others, uh, and and some of us are a bit more kind of free church. Um, but it's about trying to encourage people to find where they're I think where they feel comfortable, but where they feel challenged to explore faith. 
Yeah, I don't. Way. I don't know that the lines are very rigid. No. Um, I think for most people in the in the pews, it would be a case of I prefer the worship here, or I prefer the worship there, or um, or or you know the music's yeah. this, the music's that. You know, we mentioned the census earlier, didn't we? And um, people ticking the Christianity box, uh, and I think that's becoming more and more um, similar with people choosing denominations. Um, I think people are, are less denominational. Uh, but are finding worship um, that they find beneficial and worship that they kind of enjoy at, at, and um, engage in rather than yeah. picking a particular church because it's an Anglican or church or because it's a Methodist church. Yeah, it's quite interesting because um, where we work uh, together and together for Froomside, um, we have our pulpit, well, we have our church swaps. We don't swap pulpits because we do more than just preach in the other place. We lead the whole of the service there and do the preaching. Um, and I'm aware that when I visit the Methodist places, I I, I use the, the what looks like the most Anglican form of Methodist worship that I can use. Um, but what I very much enjoy is the fact that people in the Methodist church actually sing their hymns. Yes, sing with gusto. Yeah. So when you come to the Anglican churches, do you find... It frustrating that, that our congregations mumble their way through the, the, the hymns. I think there's, um, I think part of it is just you don't want to be unpopular with them. Do you? <laughs> I'm trying if, to be diplomatic at the, at the moment. They will say, "Oh, Lee, we like Lee. Great, we're glad he's coming for the swap." <laughs> I think. What, what? I think some of it is just around the the buildings as well, isn't it? Anglican churches tend to be much bigger, grander, grander buildings. So you can have the same number of people in singing along, uh, and it doesn't send the same. You're making excuses I am for my congregation. Yeah. <laughs> but if you if you rock up at, at Salem in Watley's End, they've got a real reputation for being singers. Yeah, uh, and yeah, it does kind of blow you away um, when you've kind of got a church full of people um, singing a, a classic Wesley at the top of their voices and belting it out. Um, but I think that's kind of the. When I went there, I only chose one Wesley. That's probably more than I do most do you of the Do you think they'll ever forgive me? You'll get. You'll be fine. Yeah. As long as you start with something they know and finish with something they oh, know. Oh, they knew you them can all. Do whatever you want. They knew them the all. They were pleased with the the choices that I made. Did you get the comment at the end that they were lovely hymns? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. They, they were lovely hymns, and and thanks very much. And. Uh, no you, comment you, about the sermon. You can come again. Um, well, I wasn't preaching, um, <laughs> but I didn't receive any comments about the sermon. Um, when I led it at Winterbourne Down, um, there were positive comments about the singing, but they were less keen on my um, choosing the most Anglican form of Methodist liturgy because um, they're not used to that. Yeah, so and that so. kind of that's the difference between between Methodist churches as well. I know the kind of comment that Anglicanism is a broad church uh, and Methodism is um, just as broad, if not even broader. Um, so kind of the experience at Salem, where I um, tend to, to lead worship more, um, it is probably more the sort of liturgical form of worship. And they've kind of got used to me over the four years of dressing up and um, wearing albs and stoles. Well, and I went there and I didn't. Because I didn't know that you did. So I felt a little bit um, out of my usual... Uh, yes, I'm in a different building. And yes, we were meeting in the in the hall part of, of, of Salem there. 
Um, but I, I wore the same clothes I'm wearing now, a, a jacket that I fetched from the charity shop because I was fortunate enough that somebody about my size donated a lot of clothes or maybe his next of kin did, I don't know. Um, uh, and, and, you know, my jeans and my shoes. And, and, and it was only afterwards they said, you know, you could have dressed up if you want because Lee always does. I thought, oh... <laughs> I thought you saved dressing up for when you came to our place. No, I dress up as much as I can. Yeah. I like a bit of dressing up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's we're going to talk about that in the Eurovision section next as well actually. Um but yeah, it's, it it's what it's something that changes through the Methodist church because you're fairly unusual aren't you in the Methodist church for dressing up for worship as I understand it. Yeah, it, it isn't the norm in Methodist churches. Um, so yeah, the the experience at Winterbourne Down would be more um, kind of low church if we want to use a label. Uh, and Samuel yeah doesn't robe up um, particularly uh, unless it's kind of special occasions. Whereas when I'm leading worship, I'll I will either wear a, an alb or a cassock, um, depending on the form of the, the service. Yeah, uh, and that it takes a bit of getting used to for some churches when I kind of rock up as a visiting preacher across um, our circuit because we cover the whole of Bristol and South Gloucestershire. So I can rock up at a Methodist church in Bristol, and um, they yeah they probably wouldn't be expecting somebody to no. turn up in an alb or a cassock. No, uh, and and we have the same thing in the Church of England, of course, because lots of churches robe, but lots of churches don't robe, and we don't all wear the same robes. And you know, nobody tell the bishop, she's probably a listener, <laughs> being a local, but um, but I don't actually own a surplus, as such. I I own what the Romans call a surplus. But in Anglican terms, we would call it a cotta, and it's got lace and a square neck. Fancy one. Fitted sleeves that... Well, it's just because I don't want to set myself on fire. <laughs> We've got a load of candles about, and all those stupid wings, they're going to get set alight, aren't they? It's very true, yeah. Um, but yeah. that, you'll, you'll knock the chalice over at some point. Yeah, yeah, I don't want... Any, yeah, but I wouldn't wear that for uh, Eucharistic good. worship. Fair enough. I would only wear that... Uh, yeah, because that's your choir dress, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, for for non Eucharistic services, and um, I've got different cotters for funerals to weddings and normal. So you know, it's, I, I'm I'm well into the into the dressing up of it, the drama of of worship, um, uh, and the the giving it the best for for God really. I was leading worship at the um, the new room, which is the the oldest Methodist chapel. Uh, still. I'm going to let the dog in. Everyone's hearing the dog scratching <laughs> on the door. Um. Yeah, so I was leading worship at the new room in Bristol, um, and uh, one of the comments that I had afterwards was how kind of dynamic I was in my delivery. Um, and I think that all, that all of that is around kind of how we engage in worship, isn't it? If you just kind of monotone and you just talking at the same level uh, and you've got no kind of drama or theatric, yeah, yeah, absolutely. theatrically that word theatrical, theater yeah um if there's no theater in what you're doing then are you kind of really giving your best in worship it, yeah it's not about making it dramatic or theatrical for the sake of making it dramatic or theatrical though it's about giving god the best that you've got whilst trying to still whilst engaging people in that moment. Yes, um, definitely. I'm very conscious that that through the Eucharistic prayers as I lead them, there are words that I will emphasise that might be most relevant to the readings that have happened um, that day or the sermon that I've preached that may or may not have been any good. 
but it, it reflects those issues. Um, and, and they work in seasonal ways, don't they? You know, so. Yeah. Um, and if you, particularly when you're kind of using the same liturgy every week, um, there are kind of bits that come out and, and you kind of focus on um, on on different occasions. Yeah. Uh, and you're not always going to kind of pick up the same things as you as you work in your way through a liturgy. Uh, and it's the same with with scripture readings, isn't it? We kind of if we follow the lectionary, we'll have the same reading every three years. Yeah. Um, but we're going to probably pick up something completely different in three years' time than we did last Sunday. Well, yeah, that's my my view on on sermons. Um, I like a, a ten to twelve minute sermon, um, and if my congregation are lucky, I've been thinking about it through the week. I've checked some commentaries, uh, and I've typed it up. And when I type it up, is somewhere between. 1300 and 1500 words which is 10 to 12 minutes they're lucky if i don't get round to typing it up because i run out of time in the week and i go from what my thoughts are they normally get 20 minutes of me <laughs> preaching um, and they're not necessarily used to that in anglican churches well not not on on my side of the anglican church anyway you know where we're we're 10 12 minutes yeah um and, and some churches like interest. to give us seven minutes um which which is quite a challenge, to be fair, to say something worthwhile in seven minutes. It is, yeah. Um, Thought for the day in uh, kind of spread out a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, thought for the day on Radio 2 is like four or five minutes. Reverend Kate this morning, but we'll talk about her in the European <laughs> section. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't particularly time my sermons, actually, but... Um, my kind of Do group. your congregation not time them for you? <laughs> when they're not looking at the you. watch, it's gone too far. But uh, no, when I type mine out, I tend to go for two sides of A4 if it's a Eucharistic service, and three sides of A4 if it's non-Eucharistic, just to get the time the timings in with everything else going on. But that's just a bit of a random thing. And what that are I tend you in font? Are you an eight or something? Oh no! Times New Roman point eight if you're only two sides. Eleven. 11. Yeah, so they tend to be about 10 minutes or so. But I think that's... Are we not about the same age? I'm, I've just gone 40. Have you? Oh, you're a few years younger than me. I'm I'm 45. Um, and I've, over the last couple of years, discovered I need reading glasses. <laughs> so if it was an 11, I definitely need glasses on to read it. So I'd be going 14. That's why I wear contact lenses on a Sunday. Ah, uh, right. Because then you're not looking underneath your glasses. You can actually see what you've written. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I don't like to wear my glasses when I'm preaching um, because I can't see the eyeballs of the people I'm preaching to then. So. <laughs> well, when they sit right at the back, because then you can't anyway. No, but you can at least see if they're paying attention <laughs> to some extent. Um, and you can always just sort of wander up and make sure they are if, uh, if you need to. Um, but yeah, so basically... We're going to talk ecumenicism in the sense that we have a close working relationship. Um, and that's because we have more shared values than we do things that we don't share. You know, there's obviously schisms in the past that have that have torn, torn the church apart um, and made it go in different directions. But thankfully, I think that particularly here on the Froome side, side of it, and we're getting there with Yeh, I think. I think that relationship's good yeah. and strong and, uh, and and profitable for the kingdom. Um, but I think we, we've looked here, haven't we, about how we can share the, the, the Christian vision 
um, and and make sure that it's implemented by working together across across our churches. Yeah, and if we kind of pick up that word you were using earlier, right, competition, I think we've got past that um, that idea that we're in competition with each other, um, but rather we're looking about how we can complement each other. Yeah, and how we can work together and and do things uh, for the benefit of. Uh, of the kingdom of God as a whole, rather than just our own benefits. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that recognition that that the key values we share, you know, we we people are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and and we want everybody to grow in their love of God, um, and to recognize that they're loved by God, and and everything else is just um, padding to a to an extent. Um, you'd have to get really in depth, I think, in your faith to know whether or not you fundamentally agreed or disagreed with um, something of Methodism or or Anglicanism. Yeah, and it's quite interesting in the in the um, in the ordination in the Methodist Church, we're ordained into the presbyterate of the whole church. Um, so even though we're kind of focused on on the Methodist denomination, the church sees us as ordained to the whole church. Yeah, we are as well, but but they use the term Catholic, but yes. not not as in Catholic as in Roman Catholic, but Catholic as in universal, um, everybody worldwide, as in the creeds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, excellent. So I look forward to continuing to work with. Um, with my ecumenical brothers and sisters in Christ um, and and trying to temper my language where I refer to them as the competition <laughs> when I see hordes of people going there on a Sunday morning that could be coming to a church <laughs> where I am. Ultimately, we're doing the work of Jesus, aren't we, when he calls the church to be one in, in John's yeah. Gospel. Um, it's taken us a few thousand years, um, but we, we're able to work together sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely, and long may it continue. You're listening to those Vicar Blokes with the special guest this week. Uh, make sure you click like, subscribe and follow us. And you can even ask your smart device to play in the background. Well, we're talking Eurovision. Eurovision has already taken over the TV. Um, We're on Friday now, so we're quite late in the week recording the podcast. And it was all that was on BBC Breakfast this morning. Um, We've had two semi-finals already. I think we're through, aren't we? So the final? We get this weird automatic uh, final position, don't we, apparently? Because we're hosting it, or just because we're, we're Great Britain? I've not really worked out why we get it, but I think we get it most years, so it must just be maybe we're founding members or something bizarre. Yeah, maybe. A bit like NATO where you get the veto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and and do Australia also get put through <laughs> automatically every year or do they have to qualify? They qualified last night. I did see that part yeah. of uh, the semis last night. Oh, you are watching already? I, I missed the first semi because I've been on retreat, but um, I saw saw like a bit of last night when I got home eventually. Um, so yeah, I saw the results last night. Right, with the ten going through, and yeah, Australia was one of those because that's obviously in Europe. Yeah, they're actually neither are we anymore. But 
<laughs> we st- we're still in the continent of Europe. It's closer we're, than Australia. We, we, yeah, we're just not in the EU uh, uh, as it was, you know, but we're still in the continent of Europe. And we don't do any worse now than we did when we were members of the EU either. In fact, we did better. What, in Eurovision or in, in life your, in general? In Eurovision. Okay. Last year. <laughs> We did better, didn't we? Considerably we did. we better. We got some points. We yeah, we, we managed to get second. We got second, and you could even argue if it wasn't for the fact that Ukraine had been invaded by Russia, because I do genuinely think that our song was better than theirs. Sorry, um, Ukrainians. Um, then we might have won. Quite possibly. Yeah. Sam, Sam was a good uh, a good act. He, he, he was did. very Eurovision. He was. I think we got Eurovision right with Sam. And he was even playing in the streets of Bristol a few months ago. Was he? Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. But not Yate or Colbert Heath. No, or, too far out. Or Frampton Cottrell. You need to get the train out. Well, if he can't be bothered to come to Yate, I'm not <laughs> going to bother to see him. You mean you're not heading to Liverpool to watch tomorrow? No, I'm not. No, because I need to be back to lead worship on Sunday morning. Very inconvenient, um, these Sunday services. Yeah, but on an eight o'clock start as well, so I don't want to don't want to be travelling back late. I won't be at my best for eight o'clock <laughs> sermon. Um, it was a bit odd the semi-finals last night when you've got these presenters who were in very extraordinary dresses trying to tell you what was going on and tell you who was going through and then you've got a voiceover guy talking over the top of them I thought that was a bit bizarre but um, I think it's just the Eurovision way Right, well they don't normally have a, a voiceover talking over the people do they? We normally have Graham Norton, was it Graham Norton he last wasn't, night? I think they're saving him for the final. Saving him for the final, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was old dear old Terry Wogan before him, wasn't it? Um, and uh, it, it used to be really funny. Well, I think it still is. I think Terry Wogan and Graham Norton have different humours. Um, but I think Terry Wogan was more my style of humour. Terry had a bit of a, a sarcastic streak to yeah. his comments, didn't he? Yeah, a dry sarcasm <laughs> that, that he delivered in in such a way that it, it, it really tickled me and it was very entertaining. So will you be watching tomorrow night from home, I take it? If there's nothing else on the TV, it'll probably end up going on. Um, but some of, yeah, it was the end of the, the, the show yesterday that I saw, so I saw some of the kind of highlights of the 10 that I got through. Uh, and I did say to the wife, is this a singing competition? Because it sounded like there was quite a lot of kind of screeching going on with some of the songs. It was... Yeah. Yeah, I've not. I, I'm saving myself for the final. I didn't bother with the semi-finals, um, but and I may or may not watch the whole thing through. I think I've probably only watched the whole thing through a couple of times. Um, one of those though was a was a premier year because it was 1997 um, when when we won last one. Um, what was so the song that year then? It was. Katrina, as in Katrina and the Waves, and it was um, something about love. Um, Let love shine a light. Oh yes, every, yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, yeah. Remember. I, was, I nearly broke into singing it then, but <laughs> we don't want to lose <laughs> listeners. Um, you should sing it because you're a Methodist, and Methodists can sing. <laughs> I shouldn't sing it because I'm an Anglican, and it's not, it's not good. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a reason I do quite Anglican things. Yeah. <laughs> Most think it is not a Methodist singing voice. Oh, dear. Oh, never mind. People have missed out on you singing Love Shine a Light. Um, 
So yeah, I watched that one all the way through. I tend to tune in for the results. Um, so you can get the nil poires. Nil poire, yeah. And um, because they're quite interesting, aren't they? It's it's where where politics meets a singing contest. Because <laughs> um, Sweden will vote their high points to Norway and Finland and Denmark and and all of those uh, Nordic countries vote for each other. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Greece and Cyprus. They always vote for each other and 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 Cyprus um, and Turkey and you know, and nobody votes for Britain. No, we don't tend to get very many votes. But I don't think we've hit the right. I don't think we've hit the right thing until last year. We've not. We've looked at it as a singing contest instead of looking at it as Eurovision. <laughs> um, and I think the two things are very different. Yeah. Yes, it's it isn't. You kind of um, Britain's got talent singing competition. Is it? It is uh, has a certain um, kind of draw to to Eurovision. Yeah, yeah, as a style, and and some of that is about, um, about the outfits, um, and and the the wacky nature of, of the performances. There was a guy, in no socks or shoes on the stage at one point last night. I uh, saw in the highlights. I think he was a different one to the one that had flames going up around him, which was slightly random. Real flames. Yeah. Oh, I hope they made it through. I might have to watch it. <laughs> see if anybody sets themselves well, alight. On I it. think, yeah, I think they made it through. But, uh, yeah, there was kind of, on the, the stage, there was Did Pentecost come early? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't tongues of fire, no? It was um, real flames. Yeah, I think if you got uh, licked by those flames, you'd be in problems. Oh, right, okay. It wasn't quite the, uh, the, the uh, speaking in tongues, although there was a bit of that going on as well. Yeah, right. Okay. Interesting stuff. Interesting. Why do you think that it's so popular? I think there is that element of people just kind of making fun of themselves, isn't there? Um, uh, and, and making, uh, yeah, there's a bit of kind of making a fool of yourself. There's a bit of kind of competition against countries uh, that people kind of buy into. Um, but I kind of sense, uh, maybe a bit more this year, because the semi-finals seem to have been a bit more publicised and, and Yeah, I don't think pushed. we've televised those before, yeah. have we? I uh, think that was just because was, we were hosting it there. There seems to be a whole kind of culture around it, isn't it? And it's a whole kind of weak experience, uh, particularly for those that are kind of ardent um, Eurovision fans who go to kind of every competition. Uh, there's a friend of mine who I know who's kind of very heavily involved in Eurovision and goes to them every year. And you're and still it, friends with them? Yeah, we don't see each you're other very, very often. You're a very compassionate person. <laughs> <laughs> we were taught at college, you have to love people even if you don't like them. Yeah, <laughs> even if you don't agree with everything that they say or do, love them anyway. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think there is this whole kind of subculture around Eurovision, isn't there, that people kind of buy into and uh, and and follow along with. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that it, it it's like a festival mm. in in the in some of its best senses of festival. It's about a, an attitude of care and love for one another um, that's expressed in a very flamboyant um, flamboyant way. 
Uh, yeah, I think it kind of it links back to some of that conversation we're having about ec- ecumenism, um, in that there's kind of different people coming together from different um, countries. So you can you can kind of see that as the different denominations coming together, but there's a sense of kind of community um, spirit and community uh, cohesion that kind of brings them together for yeah. a draw of Eurovision. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the singing's almost secondary to to the being together in in. In love and fellowship, yeah, like you can definitely see the singing, like being a Methodist or an Anglican, really, in that same sort of thing. You turn up for the community and the tea, and the worship's an added bonus, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, I think, uh, our colleague, our colleague, Reverend Kate, summed it up really well this morning on um, on Radio 2's Thought for the Day because she put it in that same category of you might not understand it. You might think it's all a bit weird. You might, you know, wonder what on earth is going on. And you'll definitely be left with the question of... What? How do Australia take part again? (laughs) There was a lot of what's in her thing. And the only bit she couldn't really answer was, why Australia? Um, But she did did draw in the fact that it's about um, a peace. It's about building peace and community and fellowship. Around those things that, that that put a smile on your face, um, and make you laugh, even if you are cynical, I think about the the votes that come in, <laughs> even if you know that they're not necessarily the the best act's not necessarily going to win. Um, yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, I uh, I learnt last year that apparently during uh, Olympic years, countries that were at war each, uh, with each other. Uh, meant to kind of have a ceasefire during the Olympics so they, they can kind of compete. Right, okay. Uh, and I think there's a bit of that in, in Eurovision about kind of bringing opposing parties together. Yeah. Um, they're probably not going to get on uh, very much at other points in the year, but they're, uh, they'll come together at Eurovision for a bit of a laugh and a bit of a community spirit and a bit of a get-together. Yeah. And um, it certainly seems to have brought Liverpool to, to life this year. Yeah, again. yeah. I think it's been been very good that, that Liverpool's uh, in the spotlight for it and there's... And it's doing very well. I think it should be interesting that when the... Of course, they've changed the way the votes come in a little bit now, haven't they? Because the points come up on the screen and, and they only announce who they've given the 12 points to. Um, but we'll still have to everybody have to have everybody saying, it's been a really great show and we've really enjoyed it. And they all have the same sort of script when they, when they come on. Haven't we had a wonderful night? Yeah, Absolutely. Howell and I discussed last week that we we should do a a drinking game of coronation bingo. And yeah, I heard see that what bit. phrases come up from the from the uh, commentary team. I think I repeat my advice to you from listeners from last week. If you're gonna have um, some game of Eurovision bingo, do not put on there that you're going to have a shot every time somebody says what a great night they're having <laughs> and uh, they put on a really good show because. You won't be you able to, to walk the until cord the middle instead. of next week. Yeah, yeah. Go for something less alcoholic if that's what you're going to do. Be a good Methodist and uh, leave the alcohol in the fridge. Yeah, good plan. Good plan. <laughs> anyway, so that's Eurovision all wrapped up. Enjoy it if you're watching it. Have a good time. Um, we won't judge you no matter what. Um, and you never know. We might be hosting again next we year. We might be win. hosting again next year. Yeah. If we win, or if if Ukraine win again, because she oh. wrote a song apparently in the British entry. She wrote. She wrote. Yeah, that's the name of the song. I wrote a song. I wrote a song. Right. Okay. 
slightly random title, but she definitely did write a song. Yeah, good, good. Well, let's see how we get on. Um, but enjoy and remember it's about building peace, harmony and breaking down barriers on the way through. Amen. Thank you.